Uh, thanks, guys. Um, folks, good evening. Uh, if we haven't met before, uh, my name's Andrew Masters. I'm married to the lovely Dana. Uh, Dana's originally from the States. Whenever she asked all the children, has anyone ever told you you're a leader? I turned to James and said, any, you know, spot the American in the room? Um, uh, we uh, were involved in a beautiful community of God's people in Lisburn called Lagan Valley Vineyard. Some of them are here with us, and it is, um, it is just such a treat to be here in the sunshine. Uh, before I talk about what we're going to do tonight, there's just a couple of quick announcements. Um, after we're finished uh, with the fire pits and all that kind of stuff, there is going to be some late night worship in here this evening. Uh, Jamie Nish is going to be leading us in that, so we'd love you to come in and uh, join him in, in worship. And you do need to be off-site if you're not staying here by 11 o'clock. Um, and if you happen to see a peacock on the road on your way out, nobody will notice if you drive over it. Uh, <laughs> if you're in the market for a new alarm clock, buy a peacock. Um, um, I want to, um, I want to just uh, give you a little bit of context of what we're going to do tonight. We are going to finish uh, by lighting a fire in every uh, county of Ireland. Um, but before we before we get there, um, whenever I was growing up, there was a really really uh, important place in our house. Uh, it was the Sunday dinner table. And it was kind of like a, a hallowed room. And if you were caught in there when you weren't supposed to be in there, you were in deep trouble. But this thing happened every Sunday afternoon. As a family, we would gather around that table and grandparents would be there and aunts and uncles would be there and friends of the family would be there. And as a kid, I used to love that table because at that table, the story of our family got told and retold and told and retold. And around that table were the stories of adventure and business ventures and failures. There were stories of integrity tests. There were stories of tragedy and grief. There were all kinds of stories. And the older I have got, the more I have realized that the stories that were told around that table kind of function like anchors in my life. And a wee while ago, my mom and dad were uh, remodeling their house, and there was no room for the table anymore, and so they were going to get rid of it. And I said, you cannot get rid of that table. And they said, well, you can't have it because there's nowhere in your house for it. And I said, one day I will have a house that that table will work in. And uh, we built a house in the Dromire Hills a couple of years ago, and that table is now in our home. And the reason I'm telling you that story is what we're going to do tonight is a version of that. The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth that part of their problem was they had many teachers, instructors in the gospel, but few parents. And really, it's the parenting role, the function of mums and dads in the natural and in the spiritual that give us anchors that tell us who we are so that when we go off into the world into this wild adventure called following Jesus and storms and crises come. It's the stories that our parents told us and formed us in that hold us in those moments that give us an anchor in those times. 
And so tonight we've invited a mother and father of this land, this island, to come and tell us a story. And it's not because we want to have some kind of nostalgic moment. It's because we need these stories to remind us of the obedience and the faith and the courage of our spiritual parents, of the things that they said yes to and the things that they did and the price that they paid, that those stories would become anchors for our lives and our children as we say yes and step into the things of God in our now. So would you please don't be reserved in your welcome of Graham and Fran Wiley. Come on up, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Could, is it possible for us to shuffle forward just a little bit? I'll never hear the end of it from Lenny if he can't see. Um, guys, you're so welcome. Thanks so much for coming. It's a pleasure. For being with us. Um, you all look so nice. <laughs> um, could you just take a moment, maybe... Um, for those in the room that, that don't really know you, and just take a moment, introduce yourselves to us. Uh, what does life look like for you guys? Whatever information you feel like would be helpful for them to know as we begin. Well, I'm Graham. I was born in Belfast, brought up in County Tyrone. Um, and uh, yeah, I married Fran, who's from? Who's from? Oh, who's from? Uh, I'm from Wimbledon uh, in southwest London, where they play the tennis championships every summer. We used to watch the ladies going up wearing white hats, yeah. sit on my garden wall and watch them going up the road. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> With four children, six grandchildren, uh, scattered around west of Ireland, east of Ireland, Scotland, England, wow. wherever. And you're currently living in France, isn't that right? That's right, yeah. Wonderful. Graham, uh, Newcastle is a significant place in your story. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, 60 years ago, um, 1962, the Lord got a hold of me in Newcastle. I was at a youth weekend that was focusing on the Holy Spirit, and um, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And uh, God got a hold of my life, and the teaching we got then was that uh, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and witnessing were indissociable. Uh, and um, so I was expected to get out and tell my story of what God had done for me. Uh, so I went back to school afterwards uh, in Dungannon. Some folks from Dungannon here? There's a few rowdy ones somewhere. Oh, yeah. Dungannon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, I've just started witnessing to people. I, I decided that the, the best thing to do, because I wasn't very outgoing, the best thing to do would be maybe choose the most difficult guy in the class first and uh, tell him. 
and uh, things could only get easier after that. Um, and anyway, he cursed me up and down and turned the, the air blue, but uh, anyway, I got it over. And uh, the sec second person I witnessed to, I led to the Lord at the side of the rugby pitch. Wow, wow, beautiful. Um, obviously, things continued through school, university, and uh, you were involved in the thing you told me about where there was, a, was it a thousand young people were sent to France on mission, is that right? That's right, 1971, um, the OM were recruiting uh, young people to go to France to try and put a gospel witness uh, in every town, village, community, 36,000 of them throughout, uh, throughout France. Um, and uh, so uh, we joined up in that, both of us at the same time, but without knowing each other. Uh, but uh, we went uh, initially for a month, but stayed three years. And uh, in the end, we got hooked up and... Uh... That turned out okay, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, life continued, Graham Bible College, pastoring in England, ending up back in East Belfast. T tell us about the East Belfast Crusade. In 1979, I was part of a committee that organized a united crusade amongst the churches in East Belfast. There were 80 collaborating churches in that. And we put up a big marquee in Ormo Park, seating about 5,000 people. And there were over 1,000 who registered a, a decision for the Lord. And uh, it, was a, it was a tremendous time. And we were very blessed in, in the ministry there and saw a lot of people coming to know the Lord. But the Lord really challenged me after that, uh, you know, that there were so many churches and so many believers uh, in East Belfast and uh, in a lot of the west of the country and the south of the country, there were so few. And uh, the Lord began stirring my heart uh, about that. And um, eventually one day, I was just reading a scripture uh, in Acts where uh, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, arise and take the road that goes south towards Gaza. And um, so anyway, I looked at the map of Jerusalem and Gaza and uh, the road starts going south, then goes west. And um, so anyway, the Lord led us to Galway, which is southwest of Belfast. Uh, and... Um, we, uh, we eventually went down there with a vision to, to plant a church in, in Galway. And um, how many people had you uh, been around or seen do that? I don't think we'd seen too many do it. Um, uh, we, we'd heard lots of stories of people who'd gone down south and... Uh, if they managed to get someone to accept a gospel tract or accept a gospel or whatever, that was a major success. Mm. Um, and in those days, there were people who, who spent a lifetime in mission, serving the Lord down there, sowing the seed, you know, watering the ground, and yet saw very little mm. uh, during, uh, during many years. Um, and so those were the stories that, that we had heard. So there was no kind of revival train heading south, that'd be fair to say. There was the beginnings of, of stirrings, and we'd started to go down to Dublin to do outreach there. Uh, and uh, it was the beginnings of stirrings in the 70s, mm. um, and um, uh, the beginnings of things uh, starting to happen. Mm. Um, but uh, I think that would be more in the, in the Dublin area, out west, uh, you know, it was probably a little bit slower. <laughs> One of the things I notice about trying to help lead people from this wonderful place called Ireland is uh, we're not great at going first. Like you, do you know what I mean? You know that like somebody has a mad idea and we typically are the people that go, I'm just going to see how that goes. 
Um, I'd love to know um, what was going on in your hearts around that time? How did you feel about what God was asking you to do? From even before we were married, the Lord had put in both our hearts that he wanted us to go where there were very few Christians. And that is why when we were in Belfast, though that was a very beautiful and necessary time for us, we made a lot of excellent friends who are very supportive. Uh, we knew that um, the time would come when we would need to go where there were very few Christians, and the place God sent us was the south of Ireland and to the west of Ireland, which was very uh, conservative in its ways. Um, and we felt um, a bit foreign. Uh, it was a different culture, very much so. And um, on the road, it said, Brits out, which was nice for me. <laughs> Made me feel really welcome. Uh, but we persevered. So, no, it wasn't easy, and they weren't all flocking to our door at all. And we started in our living room, having moved from a church, which was, I suppose, 200, 300 strong, to about two people. <laughs> which was a bit challenging. And after you got there, things exploded and went wonderfully well. Uh, <clears throat> well, in the first year, we did see a number coming to the Lord. Um, we had a little group that got together. Um, but uh, then it exploded in the sense of they disappeared. And we were back to one or two persons again um, and had to start all over again. Um, which was even more difficult than mm. the first time. And uh, I got very discouraged. Uh, in fact, I got depressed. And uh, I used to just uh, keep that verse where it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. That was, mm. that was my anchor at that stage, that I just had to encourage myself because there was no one else to encourage me. Can I, can I just stop you there? Because I think it's really important, particularly for some of you in the room right now that can maybe just relate to what Graham's just said. Um, could you just explain a little bit about what that actually looked like? What did you actually do? In terms of outreach? In, no, in terms of encouraging yourself in the Lord. How did, how did you do that? Well, I, I, uh, I got into the Word. I mean, that was my only source, was really the Word and, and uh, time with the Lord. Um, and um, uh, I, I basically said, well, look, I, I, I'll give it another year. And, but I did, I lost faith that God could use me mm. to plant a church in the west of Ireland. Mm. And I, I, I really felt the Lord said, well, what do you have faith for? Mm. So I said, well, look, I can believe that I can reach one young man and see him discipled. Mm. And I felt the Lord said, well, that's it. That's your mission. Go for it. Wow. So uh, for the next six months or so, I went out, knocked on doors, met people in the street, tried to hold meetings when there was only one person showed up. Not always an easy situation, but um, eventually found one young man that uh, was uh, open, and uh, we began to meet every, every week and share together, shared the gospel with him, and, uh, and so on. And uh, around the same time, we met a, a young lady who in a similar situation. Uh, we both met and spent time together every week. Um, but in the meantime... There were very few. We, you know, we were praying for these people, and we got to a place 
that uh, we felt faith that they would come to know the Lord. But uh, in around that time, the, um, the denominational headquarters decided that um, they weren't going to wait any longer, that uh, we weren't making it, and that it was time to uh, cut our finances and uh, time to bring us back north and give us a, a proper church to, mm. to pastor. Mm. Um, and um, we found that quite a difficult time. And um, uh, I remember having one meeting at headquarters in Belfast, which was a very difficult time. And um, in the end, we were basically asked to resign, um, which I found very difficult to do because uh, we had to ask ourselves the question, well, did they send us there or did the Lord send us there? And uh, we sought the Lord and I think we heard the Lord even more clearly mm. than we'd ha heard the Lord mm. when we were down the first time. And, and God said to us from verse in scripture, don't be weary in well-doing in due season, you will reap mm. if you don't give up. Wow. And we just felt that was such a strong word from the Lord and that we just had to stay on and, uh, and trust the Lord to supply mm. our needs. Um, I recognize we're telling a story here and this is going quickly, but there are things here that you must not miss. What do you have faith for when it gets hard will you give up so Graham the interesting thing if I may come back the interesting thing um, when we drove back to Galway from that particular difficult meeting um, and we drove into our drive in um, in, in, uh, New in Basel Park Newcastle Galway um, I could hear the phone ringing inside the house. Now, we didn't get too many phone calls, so I dashed in to answer the phone. And here wasn't it one of these persons, a young lady called Anne, who said, I want to get saved. Mm. I've been trying to get in touch with you. Wow. And a few days after, the young man, Dennis, that we've been working with, he gave his life to the Lord. Then he brought his brother, his sister, his girlfriend, and things began to happen. I mean, the timing of that, I mean, we couldn't orchestrate that. Mm. Wow. That, had to, that had to be God. Wow. Wow. So you stayed, you started again, stuff then began to, to happen. Tell us about that season and some of the significant stuff that happened around buildings and growth and all that sort of stuff. Well, at that stage, I mean, we I think got seven people together in a fairly short space after that. And one day God said to us, buy 20 chairs. So we bought 20 chairs. And by the end of the year, those chairs were filled, and um, uh, we met, kept meeting in the house for the first five years till we were about 30 people, and we hired some premises, and uh, in the end we decided that uh, we needed to, to build. Um, it was quite difficult sometimes to hire premises. I remember one time hiring a hotel for a meeting, and at the end of it, uh, you know, tried to book it for another meeting, and the hotel owner said, uh, I'm afraid we can't let you people in here again, or our clients will abandon us. Mm. And another time I booked a community center for a meeting and um, after I booked a second meeting and um, the caretaker rang up just before the second meeting saying, sorry, you know, your booking is canceled. And uh, he wouldn't tell me why, but I tried to press him and uh, he said, well, it's actually the local priest who has, um, mm. who's the chairman of every committee <laughs> in, in the area. Uh, and so it was difficult. So we decided that we needed to 
uh, build our own place. And uh, so we tried to buy a site. And um, the Lord had given us a word that we would get somewhere beside a main road so that people would see the sign when passing. And we saw this site that wasn't on exactly a main road. You know, it was a, a road out to, you know, a small village. But it, it, it seemed to be available, and um, we, uh, we had a look at it. But the auctioneer said to us straight away, he'd been trying to sell that site since 1956, I think it was, and uh, the site wasn't big enough um, because the, um, um, the, the, it was outside the city boundaries. There was no sewage. You had to put in your own septic tank, and the site wasn't big enough for that. Mm. Uh, and but somewhere or other, we felt, you know... <laughs> The Lord had put this in our hearts. And then one of the elders went to see the, the planning department uh, for the five-year plan for the city. Um, and uh, we discovered that there was a new four-lane approach road coming from Dublin into Belfast from the east that was going through the field at the back. And that was going to leave a little space which would give us a big enough site. Mm. So we, we offered a few bob for that extra space and we got the site. Mm. And... Um, the challenge was to get planning permission then, and we were aware of all the prejudice that there was because there weren't too many sort of new evangelical spirit-filled churches being built in the country. Um, and uh, we really prayed about that. We had a six o'clock prayer meeting in the morning, prayed, asked God to cover it, and sent the planning application in. And we got planning approval, but we later discovered actually what God had managed to do for us to get that planning. Um, a young engineer was moved into the planning office, and that was one of the first applications that arri arrived on his desk. Now, he wasn't really properly qualified to be there, and he happened to mention to one of the senior engineers, you know, he got this, you know, planning application. Senior engineer said, oh, we can't let that lot have, get into town sort of thing. And um, so nothing to do with, you know, engineering qualifications or anything like that. But anyway, he said, I, I don't see why not. And um, he, he was a young man that had some sort of a spiritual experience or encounter with God. And through that, he found out about us. Uh, he ended up coming to the church. And when we actually built the premises, we built it with an apartment upstairs. He ended up living in it. And he ended up going on mission to Siberia a few wow. years later. Wow. Wow. Um, so, mm. you know, God's at work. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was... It was challenging, it was difficult, the area that we were in. I mean, it was vandalized. We, we, uh, we put a, uh, a caravan on site for, you know, the work. We built it ourselves, basically. Uh, you know, so we could make a cup of tea or whatever during the day. But that was absolutely gutted and rubbished. When we eventually got windows in, you know, they were, they were smashed. They tried to set it on fire. We managed to get the fire out. Uh, and then one night we said, we're going to have to pray this thing through. And um, we prayed until one of the team saw God positioning an angel on the roof of the building. And from then, the vandalism problem stopped. Mm. So thank wow. God for his protection. Wow. So, uh, if you want to read more about our story on angels, there's a couple of books here, Angels in Our Territory. Tells a little bit more of our story, particularly since we went to France. And one here, but God sent an angel discerning the presence and activity of angels. Because God's been teaching us a good bit about that in the last few years since we went to France and, you know, finding, uh, you know, God's at work and the angels are busy. 
And they are here, although we don't always discern their presence either. So uh, I hear those are on the table at the back. I hear there's a wonderful forward in the second book. Is that right? They, oh, oh, there's a guy here, Philip Emerson. He wants a cut for it, having his name <laughs> on the cover. <laughs> um, guys, just to say, um, Phil and I were chatting about this earlier, and uh, Phil's comment to me was, uh, Graham's first book was the best book he's ever read on angels. Um, uh, so they are here, uh, and uh, if you would like to get one, uh, you can, and the guys at the back will, will keep you right uh, with that. So, uh, Grim, the church grew and flourished in the context of all of that challenge and uh, opposition. What happened, what happened next for you guys? Well, the Lord put it on our hearts to start training other people, and uh, so we developed a two-year full-time training program uh, in, in Galway. Um, and we had a number of people came down from the north and a number of people from the Republic, and uh, uh, we uh, did that, and we sent them out to the various towns around, um, and uh, eventually different ones uh, moved to plant churches in different places uh, around the country. Um, and um, our focus then became, uh, you know, after we'd established a church in, in Galway City, to how we could... Well, the Lord had given us like a threefold strategy, uh, you know, that we were to pray for, a, you know, for a thousand believers in Galway um, and for a, a family of churches in the nation mm. and thirdly for revival in mm. Ireland and beyond. And that's like a, a life's mission. And there was only a handful of believers when we moved there. But I reckon with the various churches that are in Galway now, there must be at least a thousand mm. believers there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there are several hundred churches that have been planted around the nation since we went there as well. So, so not all through us, but not by any means. But uh, so when you started uh, the church planting training and that stuff started to happen, can you remember roughly what year that was? Uh, 1989. And how many of those did you know about, like churches that were planting other churches across Ireland at that time? Um, there, there were a few. Yes, there, there were there were some that were doing that. And uh, in fact, one young man that um, came to visit us one time in 1991, I think it was, um, he he, uh, he got saved. He went back to his own town, which was uh, Newbridge in County Kildare, and uh, he started to meet together with another believer. And uh, now they have a church of about 500, I think, you know. So wow. there are people who have been, yeah. they are also planting out, wow. you know, from around yeah. there as well. So yeah. yes, there are a number now that have got a vision yeah. to, to plant wow. out. Perhaps yeah. I would ask to add to that, that um, a lady came to Galway in great distress and she was talking to a friend who came to the church that we had and uh, was suggested that she go and talk to Graham. So she talked to Graham about her distress, which was her marriage, which was falling apart. Uh, and Graham suggested that maybe the husband would come all the way across Ireland to talk to him and that we would talk to him together. And that happened. And Graham was able to lead the two of them to the Lord and their marriage was restored. Mm. And that's the man who then went and planted a church, uh, which is now a big church, and he had become the head of a movement. And mm. so it's amazing, little things lead to bigger things. Wonderful, yeah. <laughs> so, 
so you then moved into a season where you moved back to the north, is that, is that right? And yeah, after 20 years in Galway, um, I basically reached burnout and uh, we'd passed through a very, very difficult spell, a lot of discouragements and uh, I, you know, uh, I, I reached a stage where I almost felt crippled mm. emotionally, spiritually, that I had nothing more to give. And um, I, I battled on, you know, the last couple of years, like functioning on two cylinders. But eventually, the Lord made it clear to me the best thing I could do would be to hand over the church and take some time out and wait for the next, um, mm. the next assignment. Mm. Uh, so yes, we, we came north at that stage, and uh, during that stage, I did um, uh, counselor training with uh, Andrea and Vicky, who uh, I think are going. Ah, oh, hi! <laughs> Great to see you. <laughs> and uh, so actually, God used that 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 period in ways that we'd not expected, um, and. Um, <clears throat> I ended up when God spoke to us both one morning, uh, the same morning, uh, and told us to go down south again and go to the Roscommon side of Athlone. Mm. It was fairly precise. So we went down, got a house there, and... Um, Hold on, because there's a detail that I think is really important around your walk in the woods, and, or maybe that's later and I've jumped ahead of you, but you're that walking... That comes right now. That's right now. <laughs> Tell us that story. Yeah, well, um, during the time when we moved down there, we were saying, well, how do we, we'd, we worked in a city previously, mm. a city of Galway, how do we work in a rural area like Galway? What's the entrance into this area? And we went to a day of prayer that was organized by the Evangelical Alliance of Ireland and um, down in County Kildare somewhere. And someone had put a number of prayer items, uh, clippings from newspaper around the wall. Uh, and one of them was nine suicides in nine weeks in Roscommon. Mm. And that really hit me between the eyebrows. Uh, and so I went back home and started praying about that. And uh, it wasn't something I particularly wanted to get involved in. I would no experience in that. Although I just finished my um, accreditation as a counselor. Um, and um, I was walking, praying around the woods one day. And at a particular moment... It was as if I was transported into another realm. And I could hear the voices of desperate people at their wits' end, crying out in despair. And they were coming up to the presence of God, and, and God was he hearing them as prayers. You know, they, they weren't you know, necessarily prayers as we would understand it, but God was receiving them as prayers. And, and then I felt, you know, what God said to Moses, you know, I've heard the distress of my people in Egypt, you know, now go. Mm. And I felt that, uh, you know, God gave us a, an assignment then to reach out uh, to people who are suicidal. So I had to do a lot of research around that and, um, you know, find out what was going on in the, in the locality. And uh, eventually we launched a ministry we called Choose Life uh, to reach out to people. And... Um, uh, we did a press release in the local in the local papers when we were you know about to release that, um, and uh, when the local paper came out, the first page of the local paper, the front page of the local paper, was about the local TD's son or local councillor's son who had um, killed himself, mm -hmm. and on page two of the paper, it was about our ministry launch to 
to mm. suicidal people. Again, we couldn't, or we mm. couldn't orchestrate that. Mm. And um, so we produced uh, DVDs with interviews with different professionals who are involved in that area, just that we did as part of our research. We um, put in testimonies of people who'd been suicidal and come to faith in the Lord and how they turned their lives around. Um, and um, various other bits and pieces. And so we produced these and we ended up, there were hundreds, literally hundreds of schools around the country that ordered these DVDs mm -hmm. for use in SPHE classes, RE classes and so on, because there was very little available at that stage. There's mm -hmm. probably much more now in the uh, secular realm. Um, so uh, God, God used that. Word got out to RTE, the National Broadcaster, and uh, they said, look, can we come and film this, you know, this program, can we go into a school and, and film this going on? And so they did that and, and ended up putting it on nationwide TV just after the evening news. Um, we never expected, you know, that sort of, <laughs> that sort of coverage, but eventually people got uh, rescued, some of them quite miraculously, others a slow counseling process mm. because different people were in different situations. Uh, but there was, there was one young lady in particular that had uh, quite a, a, a remarkable experience. She was about to head out the door to end her life mm. when she got a message through on her phone and she debated, well, will I answer it or not? And then she thought, well, I have nothing to lose. And it was a Christian girl who actually rang her and, and said, well, I haven't seen you, how are you? Mm. And she actually began to open up and you know, told her what she was going to do. And, and she said, well, you ought to get in touch with you know, this man, I'll give you his details, and so on. So anyway, she did. Um, she uh, made contact with us and started coming, and uh, it, it had been triggered off by you know breakdown in a relationship, and she just felt nobody would love her again, and, and so on. She got a, a little girl on her own, and um, anyway, we worked with her, and as we began to counsel her, we discovered that she'd opened up her life through astral travel and all sorts of other stuff, you know, to other influences, and she needed deliverance as well as counseling, and um, anyway, she gave her life to the Lord, got delivered, I prayed for her to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, she burst out speaking in tongues in the car on the way home, <laughs> uh, and really her life was, was, wow. was turned around, wow. and um, a local... For some reason or other, Bishop found out about this, and, and um, he began to ask me, because a lot of the priests were having to do all these funerals, there was a spate of suicides, they were having to do all these funerals, and they didn't know how to manage this pastorally. So a couple of bishops asked if we do some sort of training with their clergy, you know, on this, on this whole area. And, uh, you know, we'd never had that sort of relationship with the church authorities, quite the opposite. When, when we built our new building, we were denounced from, from the altar. Um, although, strangely enough, um, the, the, just before we left Galway, and a further priest who was in that church actually came to our church after his mass at the end of our service and asked us to pray for him. Wow. So wow. God changed things around. And hmm. anyway, through this, this bishop, we, we, um, we were asked to, to go over to England to meet bishops from England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland, who organize uh, what they call a day for life every year when they feature some particular issue and they wanted to feature suicide that area, that year. 
Um, and so they asked me to draft, you know, a, a document that could be distributed in all the masses in all the parishes in all four in all four countries wow. back a few years ago. Wow. So doors opened up for us, uh, you know, that we'd never anticipated. Mm. Uh, and uh, oh. um, he mentioned that um, this young lady had been into things occult, particularly astral travel, which is how she had got to the point that mentally she just wasn't able to cope. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to tell you a story of something happened in France several years before. Doing door to door, I met a lady, French lady, her name was Odette. Now she's with, with the father in heaven now. And Odette's life was being destroyed. And she also was into the occult in quite a heavy way and belonged to a group of, we call them witches, whatever, uh, in a big city nearby. Uh, and every so often I would visit her. She always knew when I was coming by doing her tarot cards and uh, who I was coming with, etc. I began to really love this lady. And we showed her a lot of love. And when she was in hospital because alcohol was destroying her liver, we cleaned her flat and all that kind of thing. Showed her a lot of love. I am looking forward to hugging Odette in heaven. Mm. Uh, and every so often, I got the opportunity to talk to her about Jesus. Uh, and one day, she said to me, the power that is with you is greater than the power that is with me. I've never forgotten that. And when never faced with people that have been into things of the dark kingdom, I remember those words. Mm. She showed me, um, she had quite a bit of paraphernalia connected with that. She showed me a stone that she had. And she said, if I concentrate on this stone in a special way that I know, and, a, and about a person, I can kill them and a, a hole will appear in that stone. There were several sto holes in that stone. Mm -hmm. It never occurred to me that perhaps she might want to kill me, uh, or that the people that she was connected with might want to do me in. But they couldn't, even if they had wanted, because that power that was with me was greater than the power mm. of all these folks. Mm -hmm. And I want to say to the ones who are here who have connections, and there are some, the Lord has told me two weeks ago there's at least two people here, and you have connections with the occult, which is, means the dark kingdom, the hidden kingdom. And you are maybe even connected with a group who are witches or something's very similar to that. And you got trapped into it, possibly quite innocently, that you didn't know what you were getting into. And now maybe you're uncomfortable. And I think in this tent, you are uncomfortable. Uh, and I want to say to you that the Lord Jesus says, I am the door. And he is the way out mm. for you. And this 
event is called NUA, which is the Irish for new. And I want to offer you in the name of Jesus the way out to a new life. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians, can you put it up, dear servant up there, which says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Hallelujah. Mm. Um, just a spot of Greek, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, and uh, the word new, which comes twice in that verse, comes from the Greek word kainos. And kainos was so new, it meant something so new that it had never existed before. So when we become a Christian by being in Christ, we become so new that we never existed before. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, the religious guy who came to question him, um, You've got to be born again. You've been born of the flesh, but you've got to be born of the spirit. You've got to be a new creation because when a baby's born, it's a new person. And if we're born of the spirit, we're a new person. We're so new, we never existed before, which is amazing, I think. So I'm talking to you if you have been into something like Reiki, or something like witchcraft, or a, a variety of that, or if you have been into martial arts that ask you to connect with strength that is outside of the normal, or if you have been into transmental meditation, there's quite a lot of things out there which are very fashionable at the moment. Mm. If you've been into yoga and you're humming or you're chanting, we're offering you a way out tonight. I want to offer you a way out tonight to turn away from that completely and go through the door that is Jesus. And if this, that doesn't apply to you, but you've been watching and looking at the things going on in this tent and elsewhere, and you want to give your life to Christ and become a new creation, Tonight's your night. Mm -hmm. I want to open the door for you that is Jesus and say, come on in. Yeah. Come on into the family of God. Come on into the kingdom of light. Come on in and you will receive eternal life. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And if it's not written there, when you end your days on earth, you will not get into heaven. It is written that unless your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not get into the presence of God. So come on in. Come on in. And we will pray for you later. And if you are one of these ones who have been into witchcraft or something like that, Graham and I will pray for you after the meeting. Um, I know that from that kind of, so we'll jump back into the, to the story where um, all of the stuff around RTE, 
the Catholic bishops, um, there's a church planting training center, Plumline, the network of churches had been established. There was several plates spinning in lots of, of different ways. I suppose the question as we um, uh, move towards ministry is, when you think about all of those things and the decades of uh, faithful ministry, what are the things that you feel like sustained you in those years and those times and for that, uh, that length of time up until right today? God's faithfulness, mm. His grace. Mm. Um, it's all about Him. And uh, <clears throat> all we can do is draw, draw from Him. And, and uh, I had an awful lot to learn, made mistakes, um, and uh, I just had to be teachable and open to his spirit and learn to listen to him. I think I established a few disciplines in my own life. I think there was a daily time of prayer with the Lord, daily time in the word. Um, then I established the habit of spending a half day a week when I just set aside that time normally on a Monday, uh, begin the week, just go away, spend time on my own with the Lord, my journal, whatever. Um, and then I decided to do two or three days away every couple of months, just to retreat my Bible, my journal with the Lord. And I, I think those times were times of richness, of intimacy. Those, those were highlights, highlights of my life. And, and uh, I just feel, you know, it's not, it's not so much about mission, it's about Jesus. And it's about relationship with him, it's about loving him, it's about being sustained by him, uh, by his grace, um, through, our, through our own failures and, and uh, shortcomings and, and so on. Um, and um, I think another thing was developing relationships with uh, people who sustain. Um, uh, you meet sort of... VDPs and VIPs, you know, very draining people and very inspiring people. Um, and uh, pastors tend to meet a lot of um, a certain type. <laughs> and um, tend to be a bit firefighters, but we need to have sufficient VIPs. Mm. And of course, the Lord is primary amongst that, but we need to develop friendships. Mm. And one of the things that um, the Lord blessed me with uh, from having started in a situation where we were totally isolated and cut off out in the West, uh, he brought people, individuals into my life that I was able to talk to, pray with, cry with, mm. and, and receive help and encouragement and support. And so that's one of God's you know, lines of provision that's been so important for me in, in uh, sustaining me through the years. And that's me as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Usually, you aren't both down at the same time, mm. so you can pick each other up. Wow. Well said, Fran. Yeah. <laughs> that was in Graham's notes. Um, one last question before I ask you to um, bring what you feel like the Lord is saying now. And I suppose as I've reflected on your story, as I've listened to it, the thing that really strikes me is that both of you have done something that I think is really simple but really hard. And it's 
simply that you have continued to say yes to Jesus. And I suppose my question is also a simple one, is why? Is there an alternative? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, when when, uh, Paul says, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, that could be rendered, which is the only logical response to the sacrifice Christ has made for us. And um, I think it's all we can do is put our lives on the altar and make ourselves available again and again and again. And I I know just a few years ago when I was approaching retirement age, I I again took one of these retreats, so I went away for a few days and um, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I want to be just as available to you at this stage in life as I was as a young 20-year-old when I, you know, took my rucksack and sleeping bag and headed off to Europe. Uh, You have the right to send me to any place of need, any place of danger. You're my Lord. Um, And uh, I really meant that. Mm. And um, he ended up sending us to the south of France uh, for the last seven years, (laughs) which we'd not (laughs) expected. but in that, he's, he's taught us so much more. I mean, we thought we were maybe going to help some situations there. And yes, we did a certain amount of that. But we have learned so much more of God and his ways. I remember sitting at Dublin Airport when we're about to fly out on one occasion and just sort of writing down, well, what's, what's our objectives? And um, the basic bottom line was do whatever he tells us to do. Mm. And, and that's been it. And we've, we've, uh, our mission mandate in France has been to pray for the region of Occitanie, which is about the size of Ireland, same population, about six million, and to drive around that, do prophetic acts, and do various things, just whatever God told us to do. Um, uh, and um, one time he told us to go to all the, the county towns, so to speak, and, and uh, 13 departments in, the, in their area and uh, blow the shofar Mm. and declare that Jesus is coming again. Mm. And uh, so we did it just as a prophetic act, an act of obedience. We've um, gone around the country with different stakes. We've we've gone around the borders, done various things. And um, on one occasion, we were driving along the main auto route from Toulouse, which is the capital of Occitanie, uh, that goes down towards Lourdes, and a group of angels cluster of angels came down, hovered over the car, two of them with trumpets, just trumpeting, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. There was an awesomeness of the presence of God that was there, and for about an hour, we just drove the motorway, just just declaring that word. That was about five years ago. Little did we know that now we are actually establishing... um, um, a missional community along that stretch of motorway in the towns and villages along there that God has opened up homes in different places uh, and, and God's just doing stuff that we're just learning to, to walk with him, I think, more closely and hear his voice that a little bit more. Wow. It's wow. so exciting, you know, to walk with the Lord. You don't get bored. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it can be very, very tough, and 
Uh, we've certainly been through very tough times, but I wouldn't just swap it for mm. the kingdom of darkness because mm. there's only two kingdoms, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. Mm. Uh, and I choose the kingdom of light. Mm. Uh, and I do suggest you might get the book or books um, because God taught us about angels. He, uh, and that was very exciting as well, most mm. unexpected. But they are wonderful people, if I can call them people, wonderful spirits uh, who are sent to help those who are serving the Lord. Mm. Wow. And you need them. Mm. We all need them. Wow. Uh, they are wonderful. We would love to, um, we've talked about your story uh, right up to the present. Um, I suppose in, in this moment, as people that we trust and love, who hear from the Lord, who love this land, we would love to finish with a really simple question, which is what, what do you sense he is saying now to us, to Ireland, in this moment, at this time? I felt this morning when the Lord um, woke me early that <clears throat> he put a story from the Old Testament unexpectedly into my mind and that it was for tonight. And particularly for those of you who are in some position of leadership, the story of how Samuel uh, the people, the people of Israel at the time knew that Samuel was the go-to guy for God and that he had the ear of God. And they said, we want a king because the surrounding nations all have a king. So we want one too who will lead us into battle and that kind of stuff. And God said, that is not a good idea. So Samuel still goes back to the people and says, God this, says this is not a good idea. But they persevered. So eventually God says, oh, okay. I'll give them a king. And he tells Samuel to go and anoint Saul as king. And I think that Samuel looked after Saul. He loved Saul. He encouraged Saul. He mentored Saul. And then the time comes when Saul is disobedient. And of his own admission, he um, bows to the pressure of the people uh, and rather than the will of God, and he disqualifies himself from being king. And just think now how Samuel felt. This guy who he has mentored and loved, encouraged and corrected, has blown it. He is just not fulfilling the destiny which Samuel thought he had. Uh, and he has he is sent to, to Saul to say, Saul, you've rebelled against God and God has decided you are no longer king. That must have been tough for Samuel. Really tough. So he he does that, he obeys, he goes to this man who he now loves, who's put blood, sweat, and tears into, and tells him, Sorry, Saul. Not me, but God says you're no longer king. And then we know that Samuel was grieved because the next chapter, I mean, 1 Samuel 15 and 16, you can read it. 
Lord says to Samuel, why are you still mourning over Saul? Get up. Fill your oil horn, your horn with oil again and go and anoint the next guy whom I have chosen. And I just want to say, we want to say that there are some big disappointments when you are mentoring people, when you are putting all your emotion and energy and time into people and they don't always make it and you are disappointed to the bottom of your socks and it hurts and it's grieving and here we have in scripture an example of that and I just feel to say be ready to get over your mourning and to fill your horn with oil again and go to the next one that God has told you to mentor. Mm. We've lived that. We thank God for those who've been faithful that we've been able to pass the baton on to and have been successful. Um, others haven't. And, uh, but yet at this moment in time, the Lord is bringing us back to Ireland after seven years in France. And one of the mandates that he's giving us again is to start training and mentoring the next generation of church planters. Um, people who will love God, lay down their lives for him and uh, reach this nation that so desperately needs him. Mm. On the 2nd of February this year, I got up at two o'clock in the morning as I often do for certain reasons. <laughs> and anyway, I did my business and then the Lord spoke to me. <laughs> and he just spoke in the words of John 14, 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. Mm. And the Lord really spoke to me through that. It's all about loving him. It's all about loving him. And if we love him, we will keep his word. And that's not just a religious obedience to the Bible, though that's important to obey the word. But the sense there is that we watch over his living words that he has spoken to us, that we treasure his words that our, ear, our, our ears are tuned to his voice and to receive his words and that we treasure his words. And he says, we do that. He says, my father will love him mm. and we will come to him and make our home with him. I was really challenged by that. And I, I, I just felt the Lord said to me, Graham, will you make a home for me in your heart? When you make a resting place, consecrated place, a holy place, mm. I said, well, Lord, you live in my heart already. And he said, yeah, but there's so much other stuff in there. You have divided emotions. I'm a jealous lover. I want an undivided heart. Mm. And I believe what God wants to say to us this evening is he wants an undivided heart. He wants people will, who will love him. Mm. Um, Jesus' question to Peter wasn't, will you go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel? His question was, do you love me? Mm. Do you love me? Do you love me? Because if you love him, 
You'll do whatever he says. You'll treasure his words. If you really love him, you'll treasure his words. You'll be listening for his words. Your ear will be sanctified and set apart for him. And you know, we need to go see through seasons of setting ourselves apart for God. I mean, I did that, you know, years and years ago, 51 years ago, when I set out to go to France in the first place. I turned down the offers of jobs that I'd had and decided I was going to dedicate my heart to the Lord, my life to him. I, I had to do it again when we were in Galway and things were such a failure and so difficult and we were written off. I remember going out one time to Connemara for a holiday or staying in a little whitewashed cottage and uh, the Lord woke me at three o'clock in the morning and spoke to me and uh, I got up and went out, not at three o'clock in the morning, but I found a rock that I thought, well, that looks a bit like an altar. And there's plenty of rocks in Connemara. And I just got up on it and I said, right, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Mm. And the Lord's asking me for that again today. We're facing the next stage. And I was just thinking, Jesus said in John 17, Father, I sanctify myself for the sake of the disciples. Now, this was just before the last phase of his ministry, before he went to the cross. If he needs to set himself apart afresh, I think we need to. Mm. And I feel the call of the Holy Spirit tonight is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you cherish my words? Are you listening for my words? Are you ready to obey them? Mm. To go wherever? Mm. And to stay? And to stick it out when things don't work out? And there's disappointment after disappointment, depression, despondency, despair, all the negative things. Yes, you get great highs when God does wonderful things. And, you know, we in, in half an hour, we can tell you some high points and some beautiful things. There's an awful lot of trudge and uh, plodding that goes on in between and disappointments and heartaches. Mm. But at the end of the day, we're following the master mm. who took up his cross. Wow. And um, we're called to follow him, take up our cross and follow him. There's a verse uh, in Isaiah 52, verse 11, I think it says, is um, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Mm. And God is calling for a new radical purity. We're to bear the vessels of the Lord as priests of the Lord, as we are, priests of the Lord representing him in our communities, in our workplaces, in our life, in our nation, then we've got to purify ourselves from everything that is impure and unclean and set ourselves apart. There may be legitimate things for others to do, but they're not legitimate for us because we're possessed by him. He's purchased us. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. He's bought us with his blood. We belong to him. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I live here too, but it's shared space and I don't own it. Hmm. And uh, I mean, we, we share space together. We have, a, we have a home now. I've got my pad and she's got her pad, but we've got shared space and I've got to keep that so that she feels at home in the bit of our shared space that I might otherwise mess up. Um, but, you know, our, our lives are shared space. Hmm. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. He, but he owns us. He's the right of lordship, the right of ownership. I'm just inviting you to come forward tonight. Put yourself on that altar. Whatever that means for you, dedicate yourself afresh. Mm. Decide if you're going to bear 
the vessels of the Lord, as we all are priests, that you're going to purify yourself, cleanse yourself from everything that defiles body and spirit. The things that go on in our minds, where our desires are, we're told set our affections on those things that are above. Yeah, the Lord has been challenging me on, on that, about my affections. There's, we have so many desires, emotional desires, physical desires, but there are spiritual desires. And, you know, we've got to cherish those spiritual desires that God has put in our hearts. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we've got to say no to some of the others, and we've got to nurture our relationship with him. Mm. So as we just come to a time of, of response, I'm just inviting you just to respond to whatever God has challenged you about right now, this evening. Let's, let's just all stand and... and um, let, me, let me give a couple of instructions just as we do that. And um, Graham and Fran will be here to, to pray with us and for us. Um, we have uh, some more work to do this evening that I promise is going to be loads of fun. And we need our kids and our young people uh, to join in with us in that. So as we respond to this, uh, you can, um, I don't know whether you want to rock, paper, scissors with your spouse uh, or your partner to see which one's going up the field to get your kid and who's going to stay in here for this time of response and ministry. But if you've, if you've got kids in the kids' tent, would you go and get them and bring them, them down? Um, make sure they come back in here. Uh, we're going to do uh, sort of finish this evening in um, something that I think you'll love. Um, but for those that are, that are here, um, we are going to respond and, uh, and pray as the kids drift, uh, drift back in. Fran, do you have some specific things that you want people to respond to? Um, <clears throat> it's a, a call, like Graham said, to re-consecration, and that means a re-purifying, usually. There's things to turn away from, things to repent from, things to say no to, things to stop doing, and things maybe to start doing. Um, I would like to see some of you that need to, to become your ch the children of God for the first time. If there are some of you here who have not ever made that first step, there are people here who will pray with you. They have black t-shirts with prayer written on the back. Uh, and if you are one of those people who have had dealings, possibly, that you got into very innocently with uh, witchcraft or similar stuff, Graham and I are here ready to pray for you. If so you just come up over this side. Start coming forward now if you're wanting to respond to the Holy Spirit today. You want to set yourself apart for the Lord. Just start coming forward. You may have done this some a thousand times at different stages, but we are entering a new era. Mm. Mm. And it's a time of shaking. Mm. And the Lord said to me on the plane on the way over, the tectonic plates are shifting. There are seismic changes that are taking place and everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that which cannot be shaken will remain. And God wants to shake certain things out of our lives that are hindering the advance of the kingdom of God. And we have a responsibility to purify ourselves. We have a responsibility to cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles body and spirit, uh, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. So let's just come forward and just give our lives to the Lord and, and present our bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to the Lord. It's the only reasonable thing that we can do in response to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Can you move just a little bit forward, make more space for those that are coming? Just move right forward here and prayer the team, prayer people can come. Prayer team, come and pray. Help us pray. Guys, we're going to, as we minister, we're going to worship. Uh, can I really encourage you to stay, stay engaged as the kids come back in? And uh, we're going to pray for these guys. If you still want to respond, come on forward. Uh, Graham and Fran are going to begin to pray for people. Uh, we're going to worship. And then I'll be back in uh, a few minutes to explain what we're going to do uh, in just a minute. I just want to say, Neil, over there, I feel the Lord is speaking a blessing on you. Uh, I have that picture, and I couldn't find it in the time of David when uh, the Philistines sent uh, these, these things back that they had stolen. Uh, and they put them in a new cart, and they, put, they was being pulled, I think, by two calves that they separated from their mothers, or was it mothers they separated from their calves? I can't remember. But in the natural, they would not have separated, they would not gone. But supernaturally, those cows, calves, heifers, whatever they were, you would know, <laughs> they went all the way to Jerusalem. And I feel that supernaturally, there are carts of blessing coming in your direction. So I just pray that, Lord, over Neil now. We thank you for all that he has contributed, and I have very little idea of what you have contributed, but I feel the Lord is blessing you now, and he is telling you that the cart is coming with the blessing on it, uh, and it's supernatural that it's coming. So be blessed, brother. So guys, stay engaged, pray, worship. Um, if you see a friend up here that you love and nobody's praying for them or with them, just come pray as we worship.